0: Veraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Our number two on this edition of Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Veraldes, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry behind the glass. And we're bringing in one of our favorites during the Cardinals season, during all seasons, really, just in general, to talk to. He, of course, is our lead Cardinals writer for ArizonaSports.com. They just dropped a new podcast of Cardinals Corner last night. He and Eric Ruby. He is Tyler Drake. He joins us right now here on the Arizona Sports Line. Tyler, football is back. Can you feel it?
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it might technically it I think that podcast might have technically dropped this morning. But yeah, yeah, you get the point. <laughs> Ooh,
0: so some fresh po- oh, Okay, so I'm looking at Eric Ruby on the opposite side of the glass right now and Oh, oh! He's about to crack the mic. Are you about to crack the mic on this, Bab? Are you whispering? I just say we got out of the stew at a crisp one o'clock last night. Oh,
1: wow! <laughs> you guys potting late? What's going on? Never stops, boys. The grind never stops.
0: Okay, so it was a grind last night with you guys in the pod. It was also a grind for the Cardinals last night. But did anything in particular, just immediate top of mind, stick out to you? from last night's game? Well,
1: number one, I think uh, whenever Russell Wilson plays the Cardinals, it's just a weird game in general. I think we all already knew that, but yeah. another game, another weird one. Uh, but I think, you know, the big thing that uh, stuck out to me was how much run Clayton Toon got. I mean, he played for pretty much the majority of the game. And then the fact that David Blau, holy cow, came in there and won the game. That was the, that was something else. That was a, that was a heck of a way to win the game. Obviously it's preseason exhibition, Can't put a lot of stock into it. Can't count in the record books. But I think for what this new regime is building and what they are, you know, really fostering, this is the type of success that is only going to help them take that next step in that direction.
2: All right. So let's assume that Colt McCoy is the starter in week one. Did Clayton Toon impress you more or did David Blau in terms of who might get a chance at second string?
1: I think David Blatt definitely worked his way up into the conversation, but I still think they like Clayton tune and what he brings just because he brings out a little bit more of that mobile aspect that we saw. Obviously he didn't have a ton of rushing yards; that can get up five yards, but he scrambled. He was able to get out of some, uh, some danger there. So I definitely think they liked what they saw. Pat, obviously I think there was two throws. He'd love to have back that were to Greg Dortch uh, just overthrew him. He said he was pretty amped up and, Said it was going to be an easy fix moving forward, and then obviously that interception, but you can't really put that on him because Rondell Moore fell over. But, yeah, I mean, it just – I still think it's Clinton Toon and then David Blau, and I think after that it's Jeff Driscoll because we didn't even see him play. He didn't even suit up, I don't believe. So, I think we have our, our pecking order of quarterbacks at this point in the preseason.
0: I want to stick with the offense for just a second because running back has been a position of intense focus, not just since the Marlon Mack injury where he's out for the year, but then uh, Corey Clement going into the locker room being evaluated for a concussion this early in the the, uh, preseason, no less. It just feels like the running backs are starting to run out on this team. What do you think? is the best course of action for them because we obviously didn't see Connor play last night and he's number one, but do you think that they're comfortable with what they have left or is there someone on the market you think they should go after?
1: Oh, I mean, I think they definitely need to keep their options open just because of the injuries that we're seeing. Corey Clement, you know, we uh, asked Jonathan Gannon yesterday. He said he was nicked up. Don't really have much more than that. Obviously you you gave the update there, but yeah, Keontae Ingram didn't play. He's still got something going on. Hasn't played much in training camp or practice, really. Uh, and, and, yeah, Marlon Mack, tough blow. He, was, he really looked like he was probably shooting up the depth chart to be the second guy. Just a terrible, terrible, terrible loss there. But, yeah, I think they've got to look on the, uh, the free agency side of things. Obviously, I think a name that comes to mind is Kareem Hunt. I think he's still available. But do they want to spend the money to get him? I mean, they've got a ton of cap space. They can fill fill some needs, but do you really want to spend the money on a guy like that who's probably a rental anyway? So it's going to be interesting to see what Monty does. Obviously, they brought in Stevie Scott as, like, I think it's just another body, really. So I imagine there's going to be some movement for sure moving forward.
2: Talking to our Cardinals insider, Tyler Drake. Uh, You know, for the longest time, the Cardinals had – a top-heavy pass rush room. They had Chandler Jones at the top and not a ton of depth behind that. Obviously, it's a new era. It's a new regime. I feel that the pass rush room is actually a lot deeper these days. But the problem is, you've got a lot of names that you're interested in. You're intrigued by Dennis Gardek's Uh, efficiency when he's on the field. It's just he hasn't gotten a lot of chance. Uh, Zavin Collins is now a pass rusher and looked good in his seven snaps. Cam Thomas had a sack last night. My J. Sanders still hasn't suited up. Uh, Ojolari, they drafted pretty high. So uh, you've got a lot of guys that I like. It's just I don't know which ones are going to get the most run.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think right now it it goes Zavin, Dennis, Cameron. I think those are your three to really pay attention to. Uh, especially what Zavin and Dennis did with each—I know seven sacks or seven sacks, seven snaps between a bowl uh, or each—and they they really looked solid as a duo, pass rushing duo. And then you had Cam Thomas fill in and play quite a bit, and I felt like he, yeah, coming in with that sack as well. Like they they all looked pretty solid. They all look quick, and and like you said, there's a lot of depth that really hadn't been there is just when can they get on the field and when can they be a hundred percent healthy? I think Ojulari's probably trending up. I would imagine they would want to see him next game. My Jay Sanders is still kind of, I, I don't know if he had a setback or what, because he was suited up, I believe for maybe red and white. And then the next day he was, uh, or the next practice he wasn't. So interesting thing there, but yeah, it's it's really interesting to see and it'll be, very telling, I think, as these games, these preseason games progress to see exactly where B.J. Ojolari is. Because if he can be that fourth pass rusher that they can, you know, just throw in there, that would be huge. Because right now, it looks like zavin has got one of those spots locked up. Dennis, I think, has a head start on the other one, and then it's, then it's Cameron Thomas. Did it stand out to you at all
0: that Trey McBride was not dressed for last night's game? Why or why not? <sighs>
1: You know, not really. It's just, it's been the trend for this training camp. And I, it's just really, it's going to be interesting to see what exactly he's been dealing with. Cause all we get, you know, we get, he's got a Nick, he's bumps and bruises and everything else. But it is really interesting to see that he still isn't back on the field. So I, I you know, I, I can't even give you any kind of speculation to what I might even think it is right now, because we just don't really have any answers.
2: I don't love this cornerback room. I'm just being honest with you. I mean, they they don't really have an established star corner at all. I wouldn't even say they have really a veteran corner in the room per se. So I was impressed with Charles Clark and his athleticism last night. That's a rookie that you got in a later round. Antonio Hamilton had a nice interception as well. Can you just walk me through your thoughts on the cornerback room in a year where I just think that there's a lot of hands up in the air? What, what's going on in that room?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well I think DC Nick Rawls said it best where it's just it's really an open competition and like you said, there's a lot of a lot of unknowns really and, and I think you can even throw Garrett Williams in the mix when he can get healthy because I think he's gonna be a contributor once he's back in the mix, but he's gotta get healthy first. You know, Christian Matthew, Marco Wilson, they both were out of uniform by the second half, so I think those guys have already caught the eye and, and they don't want them to get too much work in to where possibility of injury or, or whatever. So those guys seem to have an inside track within, you know, Keytrail and then Antonio Clark or Antonio Tony Hamilton right behind him. That I, it just seems like even though Antonio Hamilton was listed on the depth chart at the starter, the unofficial official depth chart. But uh, yeah, it, it's, it's very much up in the air. Like you said, like there's a lot of hands up in the air. What's going on? I think it's going to come down to just, you know, Keytrail brings the speed. He's pretty fearless. He had a couple tackles yesterday that were like, whoa, this dude, it does not care. Like, he put, some, he put a tight end on the ground. Uh, and then Christian Matthew brings a really, really big cornerback to the, to the room. And he, you know, seems like he's taking that next step. It's just, can he be consistent and can he keep his hands off the receivers? And then Marco Wilson, can he really be the CB1? I think that's the biggest thing. Because I feel like Antonio Hamilton is your, probably your veteran in the room. But Marco Wilson's probably going to Marco Wilson's probably going to have the bigger, you know, contribution for the season.
0: Well, of course, there are a lot of hands up. That's how they got all those pass breakups and pass deflections last night. Tyler Drake, our (laughs) our Cardinals (laughs) lead writer on Arizona sports, joining us here on the Arizona Sports Line. I actually wanted to follow up and ask you about Hamilton because I found it really interesting. He didn't really see a lot of run in the first half. Is there am I thinking too much about it?
1: I you know, I that's I, I'm trying to tell myself I'm trying to ask myself that same question. I, I think they like what they see out of him, but I also feel like they're trying to give these younger guys opportunities to, to maybe fight or or give him a run for the money because yeah, obviously he was on that depth chart across from Marco, but we didn't see him till late and then he almost had he had a pick and almost had another one. So he's definitely showing he's got the ability. It's it's gonna be really interesting to see really how it shakes out, I think, for the second I mean the last two preseason games for sure, just because yeah it, it was interesting not to see him get some kind of first team reps early on
2: talking with our Cardinals insider Tyler Drake, Paris Johnson Jr. looks the part of an elite tackle prospect, and he's kind of expected at this point to be the right tackle, the starting right tackle uh here's my question though, because going into this season, I kind of was under the assumption that their three best offensive linemen were all tackles him. Kelvin Beecham and DJ Humphreys, but as of now, Beecham's on the bench. It, how does the interior offensive line look to you, and are they good enough to hold off Paris Johnson from playing a guard spot?
1: That's, yeah, that's a good question. And I think, you know, Will Hernandez, I, I think you can trust that. I think it's really going to come down to can Elijah Wilkinson or, you know, a mixture of Dennis Daly or maybe John Gaines, can they, can they, fill that need on the other side at the other guard spot. They've got depth there. It's, it's going to be interesting to see. I think there's versatility. Some guys can move around. I don't think Paris Johnson's moving from tackle. I, I really don't. You know, I think in a perfect world, like we've said before, if he could have gone to guard and you kept Kelvin Beecham out there with with humps, that would have been, I really saw a line, but clearly they love what they see on the outside with him. They, I mean, they're not even moving him on the inside. I don't see him moving on the inside even for practices or anything like that. So I don't think he's moving regardless of what's going on at the guard spot. I think they have enough bodies to kind of rotate in there to see what, uh, to, to maybe see what can fit if, if something's not working.
0: Make sure you listen to the latest edition of Cardinals Corner on Arizona Sports on the Arizona Sports app, arizonasports.com. Also be sure to read Tyler's latest new era notes of the game last night. Ty, it's probably going to be a weekly thing from here on out, so hopefully we can keep this thing rolling. Thanks for joining us.
1: Oh, yeah. Anytime, guys. See you later. Thanks, Ty.
0: Tyler Drake, our Cardinals lead writer on Arizona Sports and arizonasports.com. Coming up next, does Tori Lovello deserve to be the manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks here on out? We'll try and answer that next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports
2: leader. There's no way around it. The Arizona Diamondbacks have been atrocious since the All-Star break. Team struggling. Only, Joe Namath would say. Only five wins since the All-Star break, which was about a month ago, by the way. So it's been
0: a, it's been a minute. In July and August combined, they have eight wins. Um, and uh, all of those wins came in one of those two months. So, uh, brutal. Do the math on that one. Nine straight losses for the Diamondbacks. And it has people
2: questioning what needs to change. Where do you point the finger? And I think that there's a 2 prong conversation here because there are two elements of this. There's how the team performs, which has a lot to do with the players. And I think that I put the majority
0: of the responsibility on the players. The players win the game, but the manager has to make decisions to put the players in the opportunity to win the game. Players and ma- coaching. thats That's sports right there. Players and
2: coaching. And then the other prong of the conversation is management and yep. the team that they decided to put together and put on the field. I put a lot of the blame of like, why could the Diamondbacks not maintain first place, which I thought was unattainable anyway? Why could they not maintain that? Well, I, they didn't, they never had the starting pitching for it. You have two good starting pitchers on your team and then, you know, your third guy you DFA'd after a month and. Merrill Kelly missed a good chunk of time. Evan Longoria's missed a chunk of time. Gabriel Moreno's missed a chunk of time. This is a team that just finally hit the
0: slump that I think most young teams eventually hit. Okay, but I think what frustrates me the most, because you brought up the starting pitching, Yeah, we knew about this issue going into the season. We did. Like, you still had Madison Bumgarner on the roster going into this year. So to all of a sudden make the starting pitching a reasoning as to why they're falling apart, I don't think that's fair. Because we knew going in that this rotation was nothing special outside of Zach Allen and Merrill Kelly. Zach Davies has been eh. Madison Bumgarner. As you said, we was cut in April and I don't even remember who their initial, it was Ryan Nelson. Ryan has been so hot and cold. It is becoming a very big concern because he's awesome on the road. And then he got absolutely shelled in the last road game that uh, I think that was against the Giants, if I remember correctly. And then here he is last night against the Padres and he gets shellacked within, like, four innings. I,
2: I don't understand. So the question is, does a change of leadership, does a change of manager of this team midseason shake things up enough and light a fire under some of these guys and change the direction of the organization? Because right now they're on a
0: horrible slide. They only have three wins since July 20th. A horrible slide? It's a slide that hasn't been looked at in several years at a playground that's got a bunch of nicks bumps even it's even got holes in this slide. Like this is an awful ride that we're on right now. I just
2: I'm of the opinion that Torrey Lavello is not the primary problem here. Could a change of manager lead to more wins and a more successful team going forward? Yeah, it's possible. It's more than
0: possible. I mean, it happened just last year.
2: Yeah, it happens all the time. I mean, the Phillies went and, and fired Joe Girardi and look where they are now. They ended up going to the World Series. I, I, it's more than possible that a change of management could help. But there's also a chance that he's not the problem here because I still believe that with the young team that they've built, and this is an extremely young team, most of these guys came up in the Torrey Lavello era. He's the longest-tenured Diamondbacks manager, and that's not enough to keep your job necessarily, uh, but it establishes the fact that this young team was built around players that came up in the Torrey Lavello era where he was checking in on them in the minor leagues, where he was going to see them when they were injured. Tory Lavella is like a father figure to a lot of these players. And so if you make that decision, it could go one of two ways. One, they could see like, oh, man, like nobody's safe around here. We better turn this thing around or like it might be me next. That's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is, hey, you guys have been terrible lately, and so we're going to fire the coach. And now all of a sudden you feel terrible because you're like, gosh, I mean,
0: he wasn't doing a bad job. We were doing a bad job, and he had to pay the price for it. Maybe it lights a fire under their asses. They might. Like, I'm sorry, the offense has been atrocious. The pitching has been completely inconsistent. The bullpen has been collapsing left and right. They finally get a closer and in his first opportunity to close, three batters and the game's over. I think that it's
2: more of a product of the roster that was put together leading into the season than it is the management of the team right now. That's my personal opinion. I I don't think the starting pitching, I don't think the bullpen, uh, in a lot of ways, the lineup, I don't think it was built to be an absolute contender this season. And when they were sitting in first place a couple of months ago, I thought, man, this is weird. I think we all kind of thought that. Like, wow, this team's kind of overachieving a little bit, but we're going to go with it. And that was the peak. This is clearly,
0: like, the bottom. This is the abyss. I think the team is somewhere in between. It's not a valley. This is an abyss right now that they're in. And I'm, I'm even more mad because you keep bringing up the, well, this was the manager that was checking in the guys that were making their way up as they were making their way up, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. We talked about the Orioles earlier. I kind of feel like Brandon Hyde was in the same situation with all of these young guys that are on their team right now. I can't pick out which is the veteran guy that's keeping this team afloat. They have 71 wins. They're the best team in the American League. And if anything, we only expected them to be a, a, a sneaky wild card contender, but nope, they're the best team in baseball. And they're kind of like a carbon copy of the Diamondbacks. So I don't understand what the big difference is between these two.
1: Uh,
2: I can draw a few, th- a few things that other are than the
0: fact that they have an awesome closer.
2: But uh, well, they've got an awesome bullpen in general. I mean, they've got true. two of the best relievers in baseball. And I'm not going to throw shade at Shintaro Fujinami. I know he was not exactly statistically well-structured before he was traded he's there. Much but he's much improved. He's been dramatically better as a reliever than he was as a starter. Um, so they've got a fantastic bullpen. I'll agree with you on the starting rotation. I, there's a lot there that I it's still... It's like what? Dean Kramer? Kyle yeah. Gibson? Well, and they've got a bunch of guys that are probably going to reach innings caps at some point. So let's see how long the Grayson, success really Rodriguez, goes on. Like, who knows? But they also had a cream-of-the-crop prospect pool of guys that are coming up and impressing. And so the Diamondbacks had some good prospects, but Corbin Carroll was the prize possession. Yes. Jake McCarthy was not the level of prospect that some of those guys are in Baltimore. Alec Thomas was not the level of prospect some of those guys in Baltimore are. I think Baltimore has just accelerated
0: incredibly fast beyond what the diamondbacks are. Well, so then if I keep the comparison going and you, you emphasize a highly talented prospect pool, like Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, the best in the league, Colton Kauser, Jordan Westberg, like they're and the Orioles are not even close to done. No, they've still got more on the way. Jackson holiday, but think about the diamondbacks in that scenario. Jordan Lawler, Drew Jones, Brandon Fott has looked significantly better. On his second go, or what is this, this the third or fourth go around in the bigs? Third, I think. He's looked significantly better. Still has a massive home run problem, but he's looked significantly better. Am I supposed to believe that eventually the Diamondbacks will just look like that because of those talented prospects making their way up? But why is that not happening now? Is it just because they have fewer talented prospects? I mean, Christian Walker's having a career year after... The shift being banned, he can finally hit close to 270.
2: It's funny because I, I think if if the Diamondbacks played the way they did in April and May and you flipped it with the way they played in June and July and now half of August, if it, the, the record was exactly the same today, but you just flipped the halves of the of the season so far and they were on a slide early in the season and then figured things out, I think we'd be having a totally different
0: conversation. We'd be having the conversation Seattle is having right now, who, by the way, won their eighth in a row last night have a plus 61 revenue differential and are a half game out of a wild card spot after selling at the deadline. The fact of the matter is I think the Diamondbacks are going through the struggles
2: now that they probably should have early in the season. Like that we all would have expected them to go through some growing pains yeah. early on, and they didn't. And that's a credit to them. I never expected them to maintain that level of play throughout the entire six-month season. And that's not to say that what's going on right now is okay. It's certainly not okay to lose 9 games in a row to get swept as many times as you mentioned earlier since the All-Star break. It's not okay. You got to turn things around. You got to make some sort of changes. I just don't know that you immediately fire the manager mid-season because you're not maintaining first place when nobody
0: expected you to be there to begin with. I don't think any mid-season. If there's going to be any mid-season change it has to be with the roster. Whatever it is, I don't know because they, they seemingly made the acquisitions they needed at the trade deadline and they haven't helped at all. Tommy Pham had his first big hit last night, but it didn't matter because they lost by five. So what whatever needs to happen with this team, you can only do it internally and it, it needs to be an addition from the minors or some sort of subtraction from the majors, however you want to view it. No, I don't think it's the manager, but... If if you got an opportunity to get better with a manager next season when you're anticipating contending, maybe you make that decision. Yeah, it's hard too. I mean
2: i I think in a lot of ways, Mike Hazen and Torrey Lovello are tied at the hip. They've been around each other for a long, long time in multiple organizations. Mm-hmm. He was the first hire that Mike Hazen made as general manager in Arizona, and that doesn't necessarily mean he's the right manager next season, right? Just because he was in 2017, um, but Torrey Lovello hasn't changed. He's the same guy. He's the same manager he was in 2017 when he won manager of the year. I just think that you have to evaluate where this team is at and where we expect them to be. I, I mean, their level of success in the first two months led to expectations that I think were kind of unfair. Because if you oh, and sure. I talked before the season started and said, hey, there's are three games out of the wild card in the middle of August. Are you cool with that? I think we both would have looked at each other and been like, yeah,
0: I'd sign up for that. Look, we could play the hindsight game all day long. But... That's the foresight game, actually. Sure. Okay, (laughs) sorry. I mixed up my fours and my hinds. My point is, you've shown us the level that you can play at right now. You have to get back to that level right now. Because you never know if you're going to get an opportunity like this again anytime soon. Last night, the
2: Arizona Cardinals win in walk-off fashion on a two-point conversion. Doesn't really mean anything if it's preseason, though. That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday.
0: Mitch Veraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday.
1: Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Coach Gannon said last night in the team meeting, he said, Hey, look, like we've trained situational football. Um, you know, in our meetings
0: and our practices and the jog throughs. Um, you train situational football, so when in a, you know the situation that came up where you, you let them score, it's the best for the team at the end of the game, and then uh, it's the only way you get a chance to go down and score. And the guys made great plays, and,
1: and that's how you, you know, we got in. And uh, yeah, it's special.
0: That was David Blau, quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals, last night on how they let Denver score in order to give themselves enough time on offense to execute the two-minute drill that they did last night. Kind of a gutsy move, I guess. Already thinking the mind games in the preseason. I kind of like that. I kind of like that from this Cardinals team. Uh, Well, I mean, what's the alternative? Lose. You try, yeah, you
2: try to <laughs> try to duke it out with your defense, and then uh, see if you can hold them, and then try something a little later.
0: But no, it's, they they trusted the offense in this scenario. It's the tried and true Tom Brady New England Patriots strategy. You gave him too much time.
2: <laughs> you gave David Blau too much time. <laughs> I
0: saw, I saw that was a bunch of tweets going around last night. About, they gave Blau too much time.
2: No, I mean it uh, worked out it pretty fun. well. I mean you end up running a two point conversion, which is cool. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it, it kind of set the tone for what is the preseason. Now, again, you and I talked about this earlier, you know, what is the preseason? How much significance does it really carry? And I use the Ryan Russillo line where I let the preseason, det- uh, confirm
0: re- everything I believe, right,
2: <laughs> reaffirm what I already thought. I don't let it change my opinion on anyone. I'm not going to go from thinking a player is a bad player. And then all of a sudden they have a good preseason game and I'm like, they're like the best player on the team. Yeah. I, I hate doing those overreactions. But, re- but overreacting is fun, Steve. Well, I mean, it can be. I'd r- much rather overreact to a full regular season game when we're going to see the guys that were going to actually start. Because I-, I don't know how much we saw of the starters last night. Some of the guys, like we talked earlier with uh, Tyler Drake about Zayvon Collins switching to pass rusher this season from mm-hmm. inside linebacker.
0: Only seven snaps,
2: though. Yeah, I mean, how much can you can you really tell in seven snaps? It looked good. Uh, Dennis Gardeck gets seven snaps, and I think he's actually a really good pass rusher. He's never been good enough to be a fully established every down pass rusher, but will he finally get that chance with this defense? I don't know. That remains to be seen. So it's hard to evaluate a team when you get such a small sample size.
0: It's interesting, too, and I'm going to pivot to the offense real quick because we did a lot of talk about the defense throughout the show, but Colt McCoy got nine snaps yesterday. Only got a couple of drives, I think is what it was, and... The offense was struggling early, but it's, you know, it's preseason, so whatever. But Colt McCoy is the presumed starter week one when they take on the Washington Commanders. And I would hope that I see something a little bit better out of McCoy the next time he gets an opportunity to drive with the offense against the Chiefs next week or even against the Vikings two weeks from now, whatever it may be. Um, Only 14 snaps from Michael Wilson who I think is going to have a greater impact to the offense than most people would probably think. He's, I mean, he's probably the number, what would he be? Would he be the number two receiver opposite Uh, Hollywood
2: Brown? I would think Hollywood Brown, Rondale Moore, and Greg Dorch Dorch are going to get a lot of look. But Michael Michael Wilson Wilson, is the tall one. Yeah, that's the thing is he brings something to your offense that the other three don't, and that's height, and I know that sounds kind of rudimentary as a like an element of your game but mm-hmm. it's a legitimate part of it because those three players we just listed are diminutive <laughs> so to speak <laughs> as, and, a, as a fellow diminutive yes but they're so. but they're also very fast i mean they're faster than he is so this element this offense is going to have elements of a lot of different things and speed is certainly one of them but i would think michael wilson could play a
0: significant role this year you know what else i noticed steve there's one person on the cardinals offense that uh they, they say in the playtime percentage page, unofficial in parentheses. Do you know the name Blake Whitehart? I definitely didn't until last night. Okay, it's totally fine. He got 52 offensive snaps last night. It's a lot. He's a tight end. And the reason I bring that up is because it was pointed out that a majority of what Jonathan Gannon is going to bring is a lot of 12 personnel. One running back, two tight ends. We definitely got to see a lot from tight ends. Last night, setting up the rushing attack. I'm curious if it carries over.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know how much we saw of the tight ends that we'll see in the regular season, though.
0: Well, Trey McBride didn't even play. Yeah, Zach, Hurts, uh, Zach is injured. Injured the starter. He's injured. Jeff Swaim got nine snaps. Bernhard Sykovitz got 17. And then I'm not sure about these other tight ends in general. But I found it interesting that the one who got the most snaps last night was a tight end.
2: Yeah, no, and that's, that's a good point. And to your point, I think... It probably speaks more of the scheme than it does about the actual players that we'll see on the field in week one mm-hmm. um, and so in that way, yeah, you're probably right. it It's kind of teaching us a little bit because this is the first game action that Jonathan Gannon's ever had. So the first that had seen. Gannon coaching the Arizona Cardinals. Petzing calling an offense. I assuming I'm assuming Petsing's calling Or Nick offense. Rallis calling a defense. Right. So this is kind of our first glimpse into what they are going to bring schematically. And uh for a lot of
0: reasons, the tight end statistic is very interesting. So you're right about that. Of course, the offensive line got a lot of snaps as well. Uh somebody else on the offense that got a ton of snaps. Clayton Toon got forty-nine snaps played. Uh, I believe it was late first quarter, all the way into the fourth quarter. He got a good chunk of game action last night. Anything stand out to you in particular with Toon? Yeah, throwing an interception early, which wasn't entirely his fault.
2: Rondale Moore fell over uh, during the course of that route, and the ball just goes directly to a defender. Who knows what that play ends up being? if Rondale Moore doesn't fall over. So I don't entirely pin that on tune. Uh-huh. I don't know that it was the worst throw ever. It's hard to evaluate when your receiver falls over. But with that said, it still hurts you. You know what I mean? Like he goes to the sideline a little discouraged, I imagine, having his first, I don't know if it was it his first drive.
0: I think it was. I think it was second, but okay. either way.
2: In your first game action at the yeah. NFL level, you throw an interception. How do you respond that is 100% what I was interested in. The second he threw the interception, I immediately said out loud, I was like, I wonder how he responds to that. <laughs> and it's funny because he goes out and he looks much more poised after that. He had a rough start and kind of got his feet under him and pulled it together. And sometimes it's that patience and the collective Uh, The ability to collect yourself, that is what stood out to me about Clayton, too. Not necessarily anything physically that he did that I was like, wow, I didn't know he could do that. It was all about the mental side of the game for me. And I think that him coming back from that interception
0: better than he was, I think that speaks loads about the player. And realistically, he still has an opportunity to be the week one starter for this team. There's a chance. You could write Colt McCoy and Sharpie if you're feeling confident just because his namesake, that's fine. But this coaching staff is not giving anything away when it comes to who's going to be getting what spots on the starting roster. Now, we can make some more more clearer assumptions, like, is Hollywood Brown going to be the number one receiver? Probably likely. James Conner going to be the number one running back? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Zach Ertz, when healthy, number one tight end? Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. Quarterback, especially behind Kyler Murray, it's a massive unknown. Even for Colt McCoy, who has been in this league long enough, long enough is very well aware of Of how this league operates, but it's a new regime and they might just want to do it their way. They obviously liked him enough to keep him. Right. But they want to do their own thing. Well, I think they
2: were probably not in a position to cut bait with quarterbacks, especially established backups. I'm not saying Colt McCoy is an established starter. Sure. But he's an established backup for sure. Um, Yeah, no, you're right. There's two paths forward, in my opinion. There's the path that we kind of know what we're going to get in Colt McCoy And I think we all kind of know from watching him, he's capable of winning you some games in Kyler Murray's absence. I believe that. But I think that the ceiling might not be as high as going with somebody who I think is uh, certainly more athletic in Clayton Toon, somebody who might have the better arm in Clayton Toon, but is also a rookie. had some good deep throws last night, but he missed long. Right. And so for those reasons, you have to, as a coaching staff, you have to ask yourself, which one helps us win more games? Because, by the way, that is their objective. As much as some fans go into the season thinking, eh, let's just, if we lose all the games while Kyler's out, that's fine. We have a better draft pick. Nobody in the organization is operating that way. Nope, they're operating like they want to win. So you have to ask yourself, how do we have a better chance of winning with the guy that we know can win games at the NFL level and Colt McCoy or the guy who may be a better football player right now athletically and has better tools and maybe we can mold him? Uh, but just, I mean, Clayton Toon's a rookie, and last night at times he looked like it, and that's okay. He just hasn't had the experience. He hasn't had the opportunities that Colt has to grow into his own.
0: So you have to ask yourself, which one gives us a better chance to win? I was going to bring this up next, but I figure since we're talking about the game, I'm just going to bring it up now. Uh, It was kind of funny last night. Most of the Broncos beat reporters pointed this out. Uh, There's a young gentleman by the name of Jaleel McLaughlin do you know where I'm leading this story? I don't. So he scored a touchdown last night. The one that gave the Broncos the 1710 lead or eventual 1710 lead. Um, he's only a five foot seven running back uh, started at Notre Dame college in Ohio going around. So he's just getting started here starting his NFL career and people are already assuming that his name is spelled with a G and it's not his nameplate on his jersey. M lower C big G Laughlin. There's no big G after the Mick in his last they name. They spelled Jilly his Mike name Loughlin. wrong. They spelled his name wrong on his jersey. Why a G? I don't know. I mean, there's a G later in his name, right? Yeah. This, the, interesting. But there's only one. There's not two G's. There's not supposed to be two G's. It's just G, the yeah. one G. Mick Laughlin. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. That's tough. Especially when you score a touchdown, and yeah. then everybody's looking, and then it's easy to spot. Oh. You're, they spelled your name wrong.
2: I, as a person who's had uh, his name misspelled so many times in my life, <laughs> Sinsmeister, I'm sure you're the same way. Oh, Vereldis. trust There's a, a Z in Mitch's last name, and it's not where you think it is. With a silent letter. Exactly. <laughs> so as two guys who uh, religiously get our names misspelled,
0: I can totally relate to that story. Coming up next, uh, a Diamondbacks move that, I'll be honest, I didn't anticipate to happen, but... They're also having a big celebration today that we want to tell you more about next here on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch and Steve present Footnotes on Arizona Sports Saturday. This is the part of the show where we get to all the other stories that are happening in sports in the week that was, in the day that was, whatever it is. Uh, in the very, very recent, literally two minutes ago from the Arizona Diamondbacks, just want to pass this along. Diamondbacks selected infielder Buddy Kennedy from AAA Reno, and they optioned Emmanuel Rivera to Reno last night. In a corresponding move, Steve, hmm. Christian Robinson was designated for assignment. Christian Robinson was the one of their top prospects for a while. He had an incident with a cop on a freeway. Uh, to say the least. Had a lot of struggles early on in his yeah, playing career. Couldn't
2: get a visa to come back and play in America for a few years. He's finally back. He's actually still a good prospect. He's been playing well, to yes. my understanding. Um, but he was always on the roster, so now I guess they're just clearing the roster spot. Anticipating no one's going to pick him up. I guess. It's it's somewhat risky. And Buddy Kennedy was having a really good year at AAA, mm-hmm. from what I remember. And they've just kind of had this hole at third base. I, I thought they were starting to get some clarity when Rivera was hitting pretty well. well and Longoria was mashing for a time, but you know he's injured. Well, guess what? I looked it up.
0: Rivera is zero nineteen this month.
2: Yeah, he's been on a real cold streak. Seven along with the rest out. of the team. Yeah, the, the whole team's cold. So he fits the team. It's, it's just not a good thing. You
0: do something. You gotta. You gotta light a fire or something. Hopefully, Buddy Kennedy can do some of that. We hope so. Um, by the way, big special celebration tonight for the Diamondbacks. I was just pulling up what is happening. So they're celebrating the 25th anniversary of the franchise tonight. Wow! Um, you can see they're bringing a bunch of former players back, including Jay Bell, Josh Colemanter, David Delucci, Luis Gonzalez, Mark Grace, Dan Heron's going to be back, Randy Johnson, J.J. Putz, Ryan Roberts, Kurt Schilling. There's a whole bunch of former Diamondbacks. Everybody. Back. That is everybody. Basically, everybody. <laughs> I didn't even list all the people that are in this release. I a heard lot of
2: people. Some of those guys were on the station this past week. It's been really cool to hear, like,
0: like Ryan Roberts. Like, where's Ryan Roberts been? He, apparently, like, I think I heard he's in Tennessee. There you go. He's a teacher. He was on with Burns there and Gamble earlier up. this week. How cool is that? It was pretty cool to I hear I like him to again.
2: hear RJ back on the station. We all know that he's a photographer these days. Yeah. Uh, it's just really cool. I love every year for the anniversary. This is still one of the youngest franchises in MLB. This
0: one, the Tampa Bay Rays,
2: I believe are the I think two, those youngest, are the two youngest And so for that reason, it's still very interesting to see when these anniversaries roll around.
0: Because a- as much as we remember from the Diamondbacks, they haven't been around all that long. And, you know, I'm going to the game tonight. So I'm going to be busting it out of here to then go stand in oh, line awesome. for however long to try and get the... 25th anniversary throwback replica jersey, courtesy of Casino Arizona, that they are giving out at today's game. Uh, have you seen it? It basically just looks like the oh, jerseys of the bowl. purple, yeah. Purple the purple sleeve. It's got the, the teal A on the chest with the white and the purple pinstripes.
2: Stripes. Love it.
0: They're doing that today. Great they're, uniform. They're doing a special honoring celebration. Uh, Greg Schulte, the longtime voice of the Dimebacks, his final season, he's going to throw out the ceremonial first pitch today, too. Is he going to announce it, too? <laughs> While he does it, he's got that. He's got that'd the. Cool. He's got the wireless microphone at the at the mound. That'd be so fun. Now pitching, <laughs> me
2: uh, me. <laughs> as it turns out, oh, that'd be fantastic.
0: Uh, as is tradition, it seems to be every time the Arizona Cardinals play a game and it gets nationally syndicated. Yep. Ron Wolfley becomes everybody's favorite commentator, and he's always again, my favorite. It happened again last night. Um, Mina Kimes. Uh, known for her great, great work at ESPN, The Dulcet Tones of Ron Wolfley. I've missed this with a picture of Yo-Yo Ma playing the cello. It's always
2: cool when we get to display some of the local talent on a more national scale. Now, from like Dave Pash's perspective, he's on national TV all the time because he he's a freak and he does all those games for ESPN and basketball and all those things. Um, But yeah, it's always awesome to watch Wolf get the recognition he deserves. I think he's in my opinion, I think he's the best color analyst in all of football. Um, Maybe one of my favorite color analysts in any sport whatsoever. So yeah. awesome to see him get the recognition that he deserves.
0: Okay, I have to talk about this. Speaking of Cardinals and former Cardinals, so the the Iowa State Fair. I guess ha- I'm trying to read through this as best as I can without butchering the info. Iowa State Fair. And there are these individuals that have ties to the University of Northern Iowa, which is significant to a former Cardinal because Steve. Do you know Northern Iowa? That is where David Johnson got drafted. No, I was of. Kurt Warner. <laughs> oh, that's where Kurt Warner went to college. Yeah, that too. And at the Iowa State Fair, you can find a butter sculpture of Kurt Warner, exact size. I mean, it already melted, probably. Right? No, stop it. <laughs> they keep it in a cooled environment. Oh, they Come do. On.
2: Okay. Oh, good.
0: They made one a of butter Kurt sculpture. Butter sculpture.
1: That's weird. Butter,
0: but it, and they and I, it looks like I guess they made versions, or is this just a one? It, it looks like it's just a one. They also did one for Caitlin Clark, too. Of course, the star women's player at Iowa. I, I just thought it was funny. Why? A, a I don't know why butter. people do this. Hey, what Iowa wants to do. It's up to There's so little going on in Iowa
2: that they're like, you know what we should do? We should build a butter statue of the one guy that's famous it, from our It's RC. not
0: just him. It's a whole bunch. Of, it, come on, will you butter? Will you stop knocking the Iowans for just five seconds? Is that going to smell bad after a while? I don't know. You tell me. Is, does butter smell? I I, I can't imagine. What, it is stays this now good what we're talking about? Was what does butter smell like? You brought it up. Oh my gosh, I thought it was funny. It it is funny I thought it was interesting weird too Okay how about this How about a record setting performance On uh, What was it Wednesday night I'm trying to get the exact date right Because I don't want to be wrong about this But The Phoenix Mercury Set a record It was Thursday night Thank you Eric On Thursday night The Phoenix Mercury Set a WNBA record For most points In a first quarter 45 points They scored in the first quarter On Thursday night
2: Every time I look at the Mercury, something totally, completely different is happening with them. Like, I remember a couple weeks ago, Brittany Griner decided to take a a brief break from the league because of her mental health. Totally fine with that, by the way. Mm -hmm. No issues with that. Uh, Then it's Diana Taurasi becoming the all-time leading scorer with 10,000 points and all that stuff. They had another star player who claims that she's not able to use any of the facilities while she's on maternity leave. Oh, that is a whole other like, thing. I've never seen an organization have so many like ups and downs, ups and downs, ups well, and downs. Okay,
0: it's funny you say that because there's another bit of history that they made literally in the next quarter. Are you ready for this? So to clarify, I screwed up. 45 points in a quarter in WNBA Okay, history. in a quarter. They followed it up with seven is, in it, the second is it the quarter. lowest
2: in, the, in a quarter
0: ever? It is the largest drop-off in points from one quarter to the next in WNBA history. There you go. A difference of 38 points between that the first and second quarter. I'm perfectly encapsulates what I'm saying. And you know what? It doesn't matter. Why? Because they won the game. <laughs> Take it when you can get it, I guess. 45 points in the first quarter and then 7
2: How's <laughs> that happen? Have you guys been watching the Johnny Manziel documentary? I have not. I Tref, feel like everybody's been talking about Tref's that. Trev's not been watching it either, no. I've seen a lot of clips, and like I think back to the Johnny Manziel era, and he was a wild player. I remember when he was draft eligible, right? And I was at the draft show for the station, mm-hmm. and I was at the Cardinals' facility, Back before they built the radio studio, so they just kind of shoved us in a closet. Like we were, it was literally me, Vince Murata, and a couple others in a closet at the uh, Cardinals facility. And I remember it was like getting into the twenties, and Johnny Manziel was still there. And the Cardinals, I believe, were picking in the early twenties. Yeah, they ended up trading back for Dayon Buchanan, but before they did that, we were all looking at each other like, "Are the Cardinals about to draft Johnny Manziel?" And I remember Vince turned to me. Vince Marada turns to me and he goes, "Can you imagine the web traffic we're going to get?" If Johnny Manziel is the quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals. How crazy. And he was totally
0: right about that, by the way. Just not in a good way. How crazy that would have been. By the way, don't go anywhere, because we got something new coming up next, don't we, Steve? Yeah. Eric Ruby, our good friend.
2: Congratulations, brother. Brand new show. He's going to be taking you for the next hour here on Arizona Sports. For my co-host, Mitch Veraldes, for Trevor Henry behind the glass, I'm Steve Zinsmeister. You've been listening to Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.